Hello, and welcome back to Sister Chiefs Dissecting Grey's Anatomy. I'm Christina Sullivan. And I'm Carmen Bree, and your residency is back in session. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? It has been a long week, and I, I cannot believe that it is like legit fall now. Yeah, it, it all of a sudden it started getting chilly. So, yep, no more <laughs> time until next year. So, okay, in LA, it's been a long time since I've lived in California. So like how much, like what temperature differential like do you guys really get? I don't know. Cause I'm one of those people that like, I never really know or care what the temperature is. Like I'll know if I feel hot or cold, but I don't know. Like some people are like looking at the temperature and they can tell you like, yes, it's whatever degrees, but I, I don't know. <laughs> The funny thing is like in South Carolina, like it's still very hot, but the house has gotten chillier, especially in the mornings and the evenings. So it's always interesting to me how like the house will hold on to chill, even when it's hot as, you know, bejesus outside. So I'm still trying to manage that. Mm. Well, yes, weather is definitely changing. All right. So let's talk about this episode because there is a lot that happens in season one, episode seven. And we only have two more episodes after this until the end of the season. And I feel like if I remember correctly, each episode just gets like bigger and bigger and more and more tension, more and more reveals. So I'm ready to talk about this one. Yes, me too. So much is happening. Okay, so where should we even begin? Well, before we start, our song uh, and title, it's the self-destruct, a self-destruct button, and the song is originally sung by Dana Monteith. Okay, let's start with the big Meredith and McDreamy. You want to start with Meredith and McDreamy? Okay, let, let's go right over there. So was it last time or the time before? Okay, so basically the last couple of episodes, Bailey found out. And <laughs> Bailey has just been silently punishing Meredith for having the, you know hot steamy sex with McDreamy and now and now she's having hot steamy McDreamy sex in the house and she has roommates who are hearing it and initially they don't know who it is but then Izzy and George see Dr. Shepard walk out the door early in the morning wow (laughs) it's so interesting to see their reactions because Poor George, who, you know, he, like, Izzy is concerned about professional reasons, and George is mad because he's in love with Meredith, and wasn't he, like, concerned, like, no, he's taking advantage of her, like, he doesn't want her to be seen as, like, the bad guy under any circumstances. Right, George is just, he's, he's a funny guy, (laughs) (laughs) and he's so clueless and so childlike, and he just doesn't really see exactly what's going on. I, you know, the funny thing is, I think that he sees, I think that he knows, I think that he does not want it to be so. I mean, look at it from his point of view, though, like, he's George, he's little kind of small, pokey, <laughs> annoying, like, not really has the presence. He likes Meredith, but I mean, come on now, Derek Shepard, accomplished, yeah, yeah. Mm. just that hair alone, like, come on now. Right, and George's haircut is horrible. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. There's there's no real comparison between the two. I feel like there's one thing I need to track on the show. It's how long is it going to take before Christina has a positive thing to say about George? Oh, I'm trying to recall. Something. No, I'm Christina, meaning you. Oh, I thought you meant Christina Yang. No. Okay. <laughs> because Christina Yang doesn't really say anything nice about him either. <laughs> Y'all have that in common, there. <laughs> yes, we sure do. Okay, yes. Yeah, see if you can um, try to keep track of when either the Christina's Sullivan or Yang says anything nice about George. Now, I now I want to guess to see who's going to say it first. It might be Christina <laughs> Yang. I don't know. It might be. We're we're we're, we're going to attract that. <laughs> so, okay. So Meredith has got uh, Derek. She's got Bailey on her behind. She has Izzy and George, you know. Uh, how did you feel about like their reactions, especially Izzy and George, or Izzy's reaction, really? 
I thought her reaction was like real, true, raw, honest, um, especially. And I mean, I'm just going to jump to to something that happens towards the end of the episode since we're on this topic. But towards the end of the episode, Izzy gives Meredith this great speech about why it's wrong for Meredith to be with Shepard. And it all made sense. Like all the things she was saying, um, I was like, okay, yeah, Izzy, I agree with you. And I appreciate Izzy for, um, you know, just being open and honest with Meredith and telling her how she felt, even though she's living in Meredith's house, she still went ahead and spoke her mind. See, it's interesting because I was unsure, like I was kind of writing the fence on like how I felt about it because until that point, because on one hand, you know, they've been friends, they're interns together. Like you said, they're living in Meredith's house. And it felt like she didn't even give Meredith any grace, any benefit of the doubt, any, you know, George did for, you know, biased though he is, but Izzy was kind of automatically, you know, like done, screw her, whatever. I thought that that speech in the end definitely made sense because she's right. You know, she's had to kind of struggle for everything and it's, it's different between the two of them. It is. It, it definitely is. And when you see Izzy as somebody who everything she has, she had to struggle and work hard and overcome all these obstacles. And then she sees Meredith who, you know, she grew up with money and a, a mother who was a surgeon and she has all this stuff just kind of given to her. And then she's going to go and sleep with the boss. It just kind of, it, it, yeah, it didn't sit right with Izzy or me. I will say Christina, who very wisely for reasons we know, kept her mouth shut this episode. She does make a good point. Like, okay, yes, optics wise, maybe it's not great, but Meredith does work. And I think that that's one thing. That's why I think I felt like, you know, they didn't give her any type of benefit of the doubt because say what you want about Meredith. We've never seen her be anything less than like 100% invested in her job. And, you know, she has never given less than 100% on the cases that she's worked. That's true, but I feel like that's just a drawback to dating a boss is everybody is gonna always question you, even if you would still be just as amazing and great at your job, regardless of sleeping with the boss, everybody is always going to wonder if that had something to do with every little opportunity you get. I agree, no, so I completely agree with that. And I and I think that if it was anybody else who said that, I would have. I, I would be like, 100% on their side. Maybe I'm just the soft, sentimental person. I just feel like for somebody who is supposed to be my friend, there should be an ounce of grace. Feel, you know, be mad, still give that speech. But I feel like, like, you know me on a different level, but I don't know. Maybe I'm asking too much. Yeah, maybe because Izzy gave her that speech and I'm be sure Christina would have given her a similar one if she wasn't sleeping with Burke. But Mary, but Christina never really gave her a similar speech because Christina knew from the beginning. But I don't think she really approved from the beginning. Like she was always making comments, like kind of saying things along the lines of you're only getting to do this because you're sleeping with him. Well, yeah, when she got mad, but I mean, she never, I don't think, other, aside from that, like when she kind of got mad at Meredith or whatever was happening, like she just never, like they, she was still friends with her. And it's like, yeah. she still at least respected the work that was there. It was like, okay, I recognize that there's an imbalance here, but yeah, I, I so I, I, I agree with you because she, she did make a few comments. Um, but I wonder if also part of the difference between Christina and Izzy and their reactions is Christina grew up a little bit more similarly to, to Meredith, where she had, had different privileges that Izzy didn't have growing up in, I think it was like a trailer park without a lot of money. And, and so there's that difference. And then also we saw from day one, like Christina and, and Meredith, they, they know their stuff. They, they're just good. They're extra smart and extra good at everything. And Izzy, she's just never taken seriously. People think she's a dumb blonde. She always has to like you know, work extra hard. And I mean, she honestly just doesn't seem as naturally extra super amazing as Christina and Meredith do. Okay, fair point. You know what, you're right. Because can't nobody tell Christina Yang that she does not belong in an operating room? Nope. Like, 
the other doctors and stuff may not know it yet, but she knows it and she does carry herself with that air. So, okay. I agree with you. Okay. Okay. Fair point. Yes. So we, we've why all that happened. <laughs> all right. So where do you want to go next? Do you want to go with the cases or do you want to just jump into Christina? Yeah. Let's just talk about all, all their juicy personal stuff. And then we'll, we'll talk medical. Okay. That works. I like dirt. <laughs> <laughs> So, Christina, she's spending the episode thinking she has the flu. Mm-hmm. But it's like, come on, every time you watch a TV show and a woman has the flu, like, it's like, all right, we see this coming. I was like, what is the joke that, like, if a woman throws up on screen, then, like, okay, she's automatically pregnant? Right. I mean, that's always what happens. So, yeah, obviously, she's pregnant. And, um, and you know what? I think what they should have done to cover it, because, like, Burke made a comment, like, you know, a couple of other nurses had the flu. Like, I think that if we had seen a couple of other people, you know, like being maybe somebody being sent home, maybe somebody working through the flu, it would have covered it a little bit more. And we would have just been like, oh, that's Christina, you know, just trying to get in the OR pushing through. Yeah. And, and she was like, um, telling Burke, oh, you gave me the flu. And he's like, I'm not sick. Like, <laughs> that's I was like, wait a second. <laughs> He is not, although he could be, have been, uh, he could be an asymptomatic carrier. Yeah, possibly, but you're, you're right. Like it would have kind of possibly been better if like Burke and some other people did appear to at least be a little bit sick, but no, it was only her. Fun fact, um, a sophomore year of uh, college, I had strep throat every two months like clockwork. And I swore that I got it from the guy that I was seeing at the time who did say that he had been sick. And then when I accused him was like, no, no, it wasn't me. I just like sneezed or something. Jerk. Meanwhile, I'm the one who has to get like high off amoxicillin every two months. Sorry, painful memories. Let's proceed. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The many grievances I have against him. But it's okay. Um, so yeah. <laughs> so Christina is pregnant. And can I, okay. As somebody who has not always been like the biggest Burke supporter, the scene where he comes in bringing the soup. Yes. See, like he is good boyfriend material. She says she's sick. He brings her chicken soup. He's a good guy. He is, you know, and it's very interesting to see these little dimensions of him because he's introduced as kind of this very egotistical, you know, blowhard, but he's kind of a softy. And I'm trying to remember if that continues throughout or not. Like, I don't like, I don't remember him being as Swiss. So it's funny watching these first season, this first season, because like, I don't have the memories of him being that sweet of a guy. I, I remember him being a nice guy. And I, that's why, like, I'm always like, yay, Team Burke. Because I, I remember him being nice. He is. And I think that he has, I definitely think that he has moments. And I think, I suspect what it is, he just shows it to certain people. Oh, yes, definitely certain people. And sometimes, um, I'm not going to do a spoiler, but sometimes you're even surprised, like, which people... He does show that extra niceness too. Um, Cause you remember later on, there's somebody that uh, becomes his roommate for a little while. That's unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes he even shows his nice side to people you wouldn't expect him to. This is true. So, you know what? I was, I was definitely kind of on, on team Burke. I, I have to say that the guy who is going to bring you soup is probably worth more than the guy who is going to shack up in your house when nobody's supposed to know. And just, you know, sleep with you yep yeah <laughs> um burke is appearing to be a better guy than uh shepherd so far we'll see what happens right it, well exactly well of course too it's all in the hush so it's easy to be nice and sweet when everything is under wraps well but it's the same situation like it's it's under wraps right now for the both relationships not as much because remember even like bailey was saying like everybody in the hospital knows your business. Like they're a little bit more like with, with Burke and Christina, literally nobody knows. I don't even remember if Meredith knows at this point. No, No. at this point, nobody knows. That's what I'm saying. They're kind of in their bubble. So there's no outside pressure. Whereas like Meredith and Derek, it's kind of been, you know, that outside pressure has been coming from the beginning. Yeah. 
Okay. But still, I like Bart. All right. Um, I want to talk about these cases because I like I thought this was such a fun episode, and I think that they have some really interesting um cases this time. Yes, I also think these cases were interesting, but you know, it, it's funny because a lot of these cases, the patients, the things that are wrong with them were caused by themselves. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So let's start with uh, what uh, Meredith is dealing with. Yes. That poor girl who comes in, um, has she's given she got bi- gastric bypass surgery in Mexico? I was, you know, I've all and I've watched this again, especially her being 17. I was like, how did she manage? Because I guess she was on spring break or something. How did she manage to get a whole surgery and pay for it without anybody knowing? Well, I mean, possibly if she's rich, maybe rich kids just have access to lots of spending money. I wouldn't know because I was never a rich kid, but. That- you're right I have to reorient this because I'm like I mean my little allowance was that like I think at one point was five dollars a week um I don't know what kind of surgery what the surgery rates are in Mexico I doubt that would have paid for it so you're right but that was the only thing that I was like this whole surgery and you didn't know but okay yeah I think sometimes rich kids they have access to a lot of money but they don't have as much access to the parents a lot of times the parents are busy doing stuff so they just kind of throw money at the kids and then going down to Mexico I think things are a lot cheaper so if she's down in Mexico spending thousands or whatever like I don't think her parents would really know or care if they're rich people fair point and the mother the parents in this case were very interesting how how did you feel about them yeah it was it was definitely an interesting pair of people like it clearly the mother seemed to be the one wearing the pants in the family she seemed to just be the controlling force of of the husband and the daughter and it was just kind of sad the way this girl's dad like it seemed like he wanted to be a good dad and and be like helpful and encouraging to her and but he just kind of let the wife just kind of run them (laughs) it's interesting because like the parents were both like clueless and definitely in the part of the mom overbearing in kind of equal measures like neither of them had any idea what was happening with their kid um neither of them like when they did communicate it was really more like ordering her to do things um meredith was the right person on this case because she is one tough enough but yet empathetic enough like izzy i think at this point still would have been a bit of a pushover and christina would have just been a little bit too cold. So I thought Meredith was the right doctor. Especially since Meredith and her relationship with her mother doing things her whole life to to please her mom because she idolizes her mom. I feel like she felt a personal connection and an understanding of this particular dynamic in a way that the other doctors wouldn't have. Well, and I thought that her speech at the end was very telling, you know, after they've gone through surgery and, you know, is talking and the mom is talking and still kind of fussing and stuff. And, and Meredith just tells her, it's like, she listens to you. She looks up to you. You know, she's trying to beat you. Like you are the one who was going to have to change. You are the one who was causing this issue. Um, Yeah, she definitely spoke truth. And the mother clearly did not want to hear it. The father seemed more open. Um, but I feel like he felt kind of sad and disappointed that like he's just barely kind of getting it after the doctor telling him after his daughter already ran off and had the surgery. And it's, you know, and it's so sad too, because, you know, she clearly was not overweight, but she's having the surgery because her mother had to buy size six jeans and, you know, and fussed and complained about that. And so even just when her was like, I don't want the, you know, the surgery, I, I'd want, I'd rather be thin. And it's like, uh, yes, like it is so sad and completely medically unnecessary. Like I understand when people are morbidly obese and they have to get surgeries because their weight is causing a medical issue, but a size six person getting that type of surgery, like that's completely medically unnecessary. Right. And the, and the way that it was done, having to feel like you have to go to Mexico and kind of God knows what kind of clinic 
um, that, and I'm assuming that it was a bad clinic because the surgery was botched. Right. You know, um, so like just the desperation that she had to have felt to fit in. Um, but this is, I will say that like from a storytelling perspective, I love the way that they talk about like so many different things and we get to just like, we're not being told what to think. Like we just get to see how it is affecting all of the characters. And I think that they're, it's very well done. I agree. Did, did you feel that there was a parallel kind of between the mother and the daughter and like Meredith and Bailey? Oh, no, I didn't notice that. I noticed the parallel between the mother and daughter and Meredith and her own mother, but I didn't think about Bailey at all. Hmm. I, I think that too, and I, it just kind of popped into my mind as, as I was talking, um, but like the way that it's like the mother has all of these hoops for her daughter to jump through. Like, I need you to be thin. I need you to be perfect. I need you to, you know, do this. Whereas, you know, Bailey has these expectations of Meredith and is kind of making her jump through all of these, you know, kind of hoops of fix all my patients, write all my notes, do all of this, that same kind of like lecturing or giving orders or whatever. Just the difference is the daughter doesn't have her own voice or hasn't been able to use her own voice. Whereas Meredith is bring it on, do what you got to do. I can jump. That is interesting. Okay, yeah, I, I like that analysis and it, it makes perfect sense. So Meredith, she's kind of feeling it from her mom and Mama Bailey. <laughs> like, and that's the interesting thing with like her relationship with her mother because dear Lord, Ellis put her through so much, but it has made her tough and able to endure, you know, a Bailey or anybody else. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then also there was that moment where, what did she say? When they were talking about the jumping hoops or whatever, I can take it. And then Meredith, like the, the whatever happens explodes and like all of that gunk goes on her. Yes. Oh, that was so disgusting. So gross. And I think, wasn't Izzy up there laughing about it? I think so. Yeah, I, I definitely think people like were like, ew, I smell you and making comments and yeah. <laughs> poor, I mean, poor thing. That's all I can say. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So what's next? So Alex, he is also dealing with somebody who um, the issues they're dealing with are, are self-inflicted and, and completely literally so this joker comes into the emergency room with a self-inflicted, no, not self-inflicted gunshot wound, but like he told his friend to shoot him. Yes. So self-inflicted. Because I guess he likes the pain and he likes the scars. So he told his friend to shoot him. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I love it. It was so funny because Alex is just, you know, walking around, getting his stuff. And the guy's like, yeah, I have an appointment. Uh, do you know you're bleeding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I scheduled this. Gunshot wound. Have an appointment. Let's, let's go. I know the drill. Yes. Like I, my mind is boggled. I don't even understand like how that thought could enter someone's mind to have someone shoot them. But yes, that's what this man did. And then him and Alice kind of connected on a different level because I guess they're from the same hometown and they were both on, on wrestling teams at their high school. And, and this was, I guess, like the first person that Alex met that was from the same hometown as him. And so they had all this stuff in common and they were connecting. And um, uh, at first they were just taking out the bullet and things seemed to be going okay for a, a moment or two. They even took a Polaroid picture of it because the guy wanted a picture of, of his bullet and Oh my goodness. But then things wrong. So I had a couple of questions and I'm, I'm probably just being nitpicky and annoying. Um, but I am curious, like, cause I know the guy didn't mention that infected tattoo, but I'm almost surprised that they didn't like, there was no like inspection or no like asking questions specifically about, you know, other body parts or things that he's done in like the last, you know, so like, especially, I mean, a guy who shoots himself to tattoo, like, are there any other tattoos or like, have you, has any other incidents that have happened in like the last like month or so that maybe, so that I thought was uh, interesting. 
And Burke was on the case yet again. Yeah, Burke, who's supposed to be like this cardio surgeon, is helping with the bullet wound. But I mean, maybe it's just because was the one who helped this guy years ago with bullet wounds. So he's like, okay, I know this guy. I'll help him out. I don't know. But, but he's, you know what? Never mind. I'm, I, I just realized, I feel like they just bring Burke into a case when they need, like, we need something for Isaiah Washington to do. So here, here is a case. They can't all be cardio cases. So we're just going to bring him in here. Yeah, I guess. But it's like, hmm, can't you just throw in some cardio cases for him? Because it is a little bit odd that we're having the cardio surgeon consult on bullet wounds and everything else. Cause and I, like, and I might have to go back. And I was like, if anything, I might've just given him like something that they need to monitor for the heart or whatever. Um, right. But I, yeah, I don't know would have made sense. Right. But you know, maybe I'm, I'm asking too much. Um, what, what was it that the guy Digby, I think his name was right. Mm-hmm. I think so. is an ethos. Hmm. That's not an ethos I want to participate in. What what I'm actually curious about is, so they patch up this guy and they send him out. Like Meredith, after her patient, you know, um, got her stomach surgery reversed, was like, we're setting you up with somebody from psych. Did anybody set this dude up with somebody from psych? Well, maybe they would have if he didn't drop dead. Well, I mean, like in the past. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Possibly, but... I don't know, like maybe there's some things that psych people just sometimes can't help. I mean, like, it's not like, I don't know that the guy is doing harm enough to be like, you know, that he can be committed. He seems to be taking this risk on and doing what he is. I I would just be curious to know, did anybody have, like when they patch him in the past, be like, you know, before you go, we just, we just need somebody to come sit and just have a chat. Just a little talk. Oh yeah, he, he did it. I, I would just, as a from a psychiatry point of view, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I would be very interested to see how that conversation would go. I, I'm interested, but I kind of have a feeling it would be similar to. Um, there's a lot of people, I think teenagers especially, who like do cutting and and, and things like that. And I think a lot of it is sometimes like they just want to feel something um so they want to feel pain instead of just like feeling nothing or they want to feel something that they can control as opposed to just people doing things to them so they can control i don't know all these different reasons and whatnot that i've heard of um that people do the cutting so i think the cutting might be similar to the shooting interesting because like it definitely wasn't played out that way but i think that's an interesting thought um and i wonder if it was a teenager if it was a girl or if this guy was just like cutting himself without the whole, you know, art as an ethos or or even pain as an ethos thing, would they have been treating this or looking at this differently? Possibly, but either way, it seems like a similar situation. I, like when you say that, like it absolutely does. It's just, yeah, I think that because it presents differently and because this guy seems to be like, I know what I'm doing. Hey, it's art. I turn it into this thing, whatever. Like, I feel like more people would probably look the other way and be like, oh, that crazy guy, as opposed to like, yeah, but maybe. I'd be, cons- I'd be considering it a cry for help. I, you know, I kind of agree with you. I feel like I like, I like that episode and I like that case. It just always makes me feel so sad because I felt like, like you said, people doing things to themselves, like at least like with the, with the daughter and the, and the stomach stapling, like I really felt bad for her because I felt like she had just kind of been emotionally worn down and driven to this by her mother. Whereas in Digby's case, it was like, this did not need to have to happen. I mean, I think I kind of felt like it's similar to, for the both of them, and I felt sad for them. Um, I think I may have even, may have felt even sadder for him. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know, like, it's just, it's a, a tough situation when you see somebody doing something to themselves. It's like, wow, like, because it seems like a, a mental issue as opposed to a physical issue. It's like a mental issue that has now um, turned into a physical issue because of your own actions and it's just 
it's sad because it was just so un- unnecessary. Neither of them those things. I know. I agree with that. Um, speaking of Alex, though, like, how do, how do you feel about Alex in this episode? Alex. Hmm. Well, you know, I do like Alex. I'm an Alex fan. And I thought it was pretty cool to like see a little bit of himself um, connecting with this patient. You kind of got a little bit of a glimpse into his history with where he was from and being on the wrestling team. And, you know, that does kind of say something about somebody um, because being on the wrestling team, that means you know how to fight. You, you may be somebody who wants to use wrestling team to get some aggressions out. Like, um, you know, so it kind of opens up um, your, your, your eyes a little bit to him. I also thought it was interesting to see him interact with the, um, with the rest of the interns. Cause it's funny. Cause it's kind of like, he's one of them kind of becoming one of them, but like, he's not really one of them and he knows it, but like, he doesn't really seem to care. <laughs> It's like Alex is just going to be like, I'm going to be here and insert myself into the conversations. And also, what was it that he grabbed from the coffee cart? Like, didn't he just grab like a muffin or a donut and shove oh it in his mouth? Oh my goodness. Yes. I did not see him exchange any money. No, I did not see him give any money to the, the coffee cart person. I didn't see him wash or sanitize his hands. I didn't, I mean, he just, what kind of a person just grabs uh, something? And then just starts eating it. Like, what? I was appalled. <laughs> I just remember watching that scene. Like, like he just grabbed it and shoved it in his mouth. I'm like, you ain't, you ain't going to pull out a dollar? Nobody's going to say anything? Right. Y'all just gonna let, okay. Everybody was behaving like that was just normal behavior. This is a good point. Like, you know what? I know there's supposed to be doctors and surgeon and, you know, elite of the elite. But as interns and, you know, sleep deprived people there's probably a whole lot of uncouth behavior going on right but I mean I still think at the very least like and I don't know maybe if the director told um the person who the actor who was working as the the coffee cart person like to not react but if I was the coffee cart person if the director didn't tell me otherwise I think I would have reacted to that because that was some weird behavior happening right in front of them (laughs) (laughs) they probably are like bro you're just in the scene shut up and stay still and be grateful all right yes but Mm. (laughs) and so oh that's right we have two other cases right so izzy yes another person who did something to themselves now this guy i had no sympathy for whatsoever i agree no sympathy for this guy at all whatsoever and first of all like the fat like I have to give him some grudging admiration about the fact that he actually swallowed or tried to swallow a set of keys because there's no way in the world that I would be brave enough to try to do that. Um, But also like, dude, why are you swallowing her keys? Like, why wouldn't you just throw them somewhere? He was insane. Like you have, there has to be some sort of a mental issue for you to put keys in your mouth. Like really, that's how you you want to deal with not wanting somebody to go somewhere. You swallow their keys. I, I I think all these people that we talked about in these cases, they all had some serious mental issues. Psych evaluations for everyone. We needed to see like the other side of the episode where like psych just comes down to deal with everything. Yes, I, I think psych should have been involved in all of them. I will say that I did appreciate Izzy's demeanor because I felt bad for the girlfriend at first. And then as time went on, I felt less and less sorry. Like I understood why they were together or had been together. Um, I liked Izzy's very no nonsense. Look, just do us all a favor. Get out of here. Take your keys and go. Please, please. Yes, exactly. And then this joker, he wants to respond by saying, oh, well, you'll never find where I parked your car. (laughs) like can you imagine like you swallow the keys and you park the car some random place like what a horrible person but you know what though she had to have seen the sign like i'm sure that this is the person who has probably done done crap like this throughout their whole relationship and like i said where i kind of lost started losing sympathy was when you know what is it when uh izzy was having trouble 
getting them out. And then he, she was getting worried. Oh my God, what's going to happen? He's going to die. And she was looking like she was about to forgive him. And I was mm. like, you know what? Clearly you want this mess. Wow. I mean, if I was in that situation, I I would not want the guy to die, but I would just want to get my keys without him. Matter of fact, if I had a spare set of keys, I would just take my spare keys and drive away. You know what? That is a that is a good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I I, I I I don't even know. Um I, I think that I might've just had to get the cops involved and just been like, you know what? Um, y'all handle it. Y'all deal with it. Y'all figure out where my car is. Let me go so I can just get on the road. Yeah, I agree. I would done, done with him. But yeah, so this fool lucks out and they do get the keys out and he seems to be perfectly fine. So there you go. There's the three cases that these people had to deal with, with all self-inflicted issues. And then we have the last one, which was not, and this is the one pure person in this case, the little girl who was having the seizures, um, which was so heartbreaking. And it was so interesting about the whole, like, I can't imagine being told that my kid, not only she has seizures, but that she has to have half her brain cut out. Yes, that is just, that's a tough thing to have to go through. Okay, wait, before we go forward, because I, yes. I got to ask you. So we see George, we see first introduced in this case, we see George interacting with the little girl. What'd you think? Oh, of course, you know, George is going to hit child like George, playing <laughs> little child. I mean, yeah, that's, that's complete George behavior. So I don't know if that counts as something that I'm going to give it half a point. Christina has has, some, has said half a thing nice about George. I did it. <laughs> yeah, he's, 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 he's good with kids. Um, <laughs> but I mean, kid him. So yeah, he's good. I think that um, it is, oh, what was I going to say? Um, I actually, I think that I read that, uh, Patrick Dempsey was actually known as like the baby whisperer on set. So like all of the kids loved him. That is so cute. It's super surprising because based on the stuff I read about him on the internet, like people on the internet were saying that like he was causing problems, but I don't know. I I, I don't know, but that's just what on the internet. But I mean, that's really cute and nice if, if the babies liked him. Uh, well, you know, sometimes it's easier to deal with kids than, you know, adults. Yeah, that's true. Maybe the babies liked him, but some of the adults didn't. But that, that's cute that babies liked him. Um, okay. But then we have, so she's already going into this fraud surgery. And then we have the drunk anesthesiologist. And George, who was the one to call it up. First of all, actually, how did you think, feel about, because there was like the, I don't, it was the other doctor. I don't know if he was the tech or another anesthesiologist or some, a nurse or somebody who was like, I, it's bourbon, but I only worry when he can't finish his crossword puzzle. And then Derek kind of sided with him as well. How did you feel about that kind of code amongst the doctors? That's very concerning because I mean, imagine if that happened in real life doctors and surgeons and people in the hospital knew somebody was drinking on the job and they just allowed it to happen. That's very concerning. And I, I didn't like seeing that. And I'm glad that George spoke up, even though he knew there could be some bad ramifications for himself. He, he did say something, even when other people wanted to just allow that behavior. That's, and, and, and I will say that is something that is so, because like you said, if it happened in real life, I am sure it probably has at some point. Um, but, but, and I think that it's, it's not, that it's, it's something that's not limited to say doctors. Cause I mean, it's something, you know, with all the conversations we've had about cops over like the last year or two, 
Um, you know, people, I think it's normal for people to try to protect their own. There's kind of that code of, okay, we don't tell, we protect within here. And, you know, that's fine until you're dealing with people's lives. Um, right, exactly. I feel like that's when that code needs to not apply anymore when somebody is doing something that could potentially kill someone or, or, or you know, seriously permanently injure them. Like you can't just let people do whatever they want. That's unacceptable. Because, you know, and my question too, if, if say things had gone wrong, and I mean, they did kind of, but say if, you know, things had gone wrong in the surgery because of, you know, his error, um, would it just have been him that dealt with the, you know, the, the anesthesiologist that dealt, you know, that was punished or, or disbarred or whatever, or lost his license, or, you know, would they, could they, should they, you know, yank up everybody else who was in that room? Well, I mean, clearly we could see that everybody else in the room was aware of, of his inebriation and they allowed him to be there and, and, and work that way. So they're all at fault. You know, and, and, and I, I agree. And I, I think that, at, and Derek made a good point later when he talked about, when he, when he apologized to George and he was like, I should have been the one to say something since it was my OR, I was the one, you know, with the person on the table. Um, I think that it's maybe trickier if you're a nurse, because, you know, there's that kind of doctor nurse dynamic. Um, doctors tend to be more powerful, could possibly ruin your career if you're not believed. Um, but I don't know, like, even if I had to leave an anonymous note, I might be like, yo, chief of surgery, um, Richard Weber, uh, do you might just want to roll through the operating room uh, right quick, you know, just Definitely. to... That, that's a good idea. Like, even if he's reported anonymously, it, at least he's reported. Somebody can look into it. Um, yeah. So, I, it, it, yeah. It, so it was, it was just so interesting to watch. And like, I did have a lot of respect for George here. And like, I know you feel he's very childlike and he is, he, he can be very immature at, at moments. But um, I think that like, these are the moments where I really like George um, because he is a person who has principles and he, he will stay you know, stand up for them, even, you know, when it costs them, like it cost him a surgery. That's true. And, and okay. Yes. I am saying another nice thing about George, because I agree. I, I did like George for standing up and doing the right thing. So yes, another point for George, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. One and a half nice things. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you feel about him and, uh, and Derek's conversation afterwards? I thought, um, I mean, it was interesting because, so Shepard apologizes to George for the way he treated him in the OR, but then he lets him know that he knows that George knows about him and Meredith. I, I don't know, like, I don't know if that was really good or bad that he brought that up because I mean, it's like, okay, you're apologizing for the way you treated him in the OR, which didn't have anything to do with anything personal or you and Meredith. It was all, you know, professional and, and the drunk anesthesiologist. And, and then you want to start talking about personal things too. But he didn't though, because remember, George was the one who was, act, get, was having an attitude all day. Mm -hmm. Like he was kind of snapping at him earlier. And then when Shepard apologized and put his hand out, <laughs> George didn't want to shake. There was that long minute where I really thought he wasn't going to. Yeah. I think that's, that's what prompted Derek, Derek to be like, you saw. And I think yeah. that like at that point, once he realized they had to address the elephant in the room, because if not like George made it a problem. Yes, you're right. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the conversation was good because Shepard did apologize to George and I mean, now it kind of is all out in the open completely with the two of them. Like, you know, I know, you know, we all know that everybody knows. So, so yeah, that, that was a cool conversation. I'm glad Shepard apologized because he was wrong. Yes. Although I think he said, what did he say when he said he was like, you know, I'm not using her. I'm not trying to hurt her. I don't favor her, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think it's <laughs> one of those things. I think in George probably felt like time will tell whatever. I mean, yeah. 
also you're sleeping with the woman he wants so ain't nothing he can say to make it okay right exactly and as we wrap up I will say that I love that very cute moment at the end where you know the whole thing has been made of like Meredith and Derek staying up all night to have this like marathon sex sessions and being all tired at work all day and them in their bed now fully in the open and them just like can we sleep please and just like (laughs) falling into bed yes and I thought that was so nice because it shows that their relationship is more than just sex because if that's all it was then I mean they wouldn't want to just sleep together and actually sleep so I I thought it was nice to to show that scene a definitely a different level of intimacy yes so how do you feel how, so okay of, of our of our couples how do you feel about um Meredith and Derek as a couple Ooh Meredith and Derek as a couple Well I feel like it's inappropriate because that's her boss and I agree with everything that Izzy was saying and I don't like that relationship but maybe part of it's just cuz I I don't like Derek that much fair enough <laughs> I, and it's interesting because I I like them together now of course you know we have seasons of drama to, to go but from just like looking at them in kind of a vacuum of them as personalities like their personalities together I think that they're matched I think so too um and how you feel about Christina and Burke Oh, I like Christina and Burke. Like, I think they're so cute. And I, I guess I'm just biased because I like both of those characters and I like them together. And um, yeah, I, I just, I, I like them. It's so funny because I do, I like, I, I'm liking Burke more and more. You know, I like Christina. I don't like them as a couple. And I think because they don't really feel that way, they feel very disjointed. Like, Christina's kind of a person who seems to go off and do her own thing and just kind of be here for the hookup, whereas Burke is like bringing, you know, chicken soup. So it feels like at least where Meredith and Derek feel more united as um, as like a unit, Christina and Burke do not feel that way to me. Huh. You know, I think, um, and I don't want to be like spoily McSpoiler, but I feel like that may just kind of be like, uh, Christina Yang character flaw because I mean okay spoiler like there are other relationships she's in and it's a similar type of thing where it's there there is a bit of a, a a disconnect like not just with her and Burke but other people as well like there is a a disconnect I so I think that there's a disconnect but I will say yeah trying not to be uh which I'm like, that's a big spoiler um <laughs> But I think even in future relationships, there's more investment. Even when there's that disconnect between like, they're not always on the same page, there's more investment in the two and they feel like a unit, whether I like it or not. These two, and maybe it's just because it's early days. I yeah, don't quite feel- It might be like character growth, like, okay, like, because this Burke relationship is like a huge relationship. like. 10 seasons later, she still sometimes mentions Burke. Like it's a huge thing for her. So I think she learned and grew so much from being with Burke. I think that may have helped um, others, but. I I also have thoughts and opinions about that, but you know, I'll I'll save those thoughts and opinions for later. Yes. um, Yeah. There's a lot more I want to say about her and her relationships with people, but I won't because I don't, I don't want to be too spoily, but um, but overall, yes, I do. I do like Christina and Burke. All right, we're going to see how it continues to work, uh, especially because you know there's a there might be a baby uh, Yang Burke in the mix. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, all right, so I think we've covered everything. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so our special uh, writer topic of the week is: Do you have? writing books um, or writing resources, whether they're series, methods, blah, 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 that you like, that you kind of swear by, that have helped you? Um, Which ones are your favorites? And do you have any that you just cannot get on board with? Well, for me, 
I'm not really a big person to like read a lot of like how to be a writer books. Um, I, I guess I, I like to do internet research. So I know like if there's something I am curious about like, oh, how do I do this? Or how do I do this better um, as a writer? And I mean, really just kind of as a person, (laughs) Google searches on just about everything. So as opposed to books, I do a lot of Googling. Um, But one book I would recommend that I I do think is very helpful. It's called The TV Writer's Workbook. And it's by Ellen Sandler. And that book, you know, if anybody's interested in writing for TV, it, it just, it, talks about things in a way that's it's easy to understand it's relevant it's just a lot of good information and so that book in particular I recommend TV Writer's Workbook by Ellen Sandler. I actually have that one and I agree with you that's definitely a really good resource um I think the episode of Everybody Loves Raymond that she talks about the no fat episode I you know I sought it out to watch it just because she talked about it in her book um no I agree that's a good one um I am a little bit different in that I, because I'm a huge gigantic nerd, I am a person who always turns to books. Um, and that's kind of with everything, even though I do Google a lot, um, I do have like this big, you know, kind of library of books. I will say that some of the best advice I have gotten about screenwriting books in particular is, um, was from one of my professors when I asked him for like, okay, what books do you read? And he's like, don't worry about it because no book is perfect. It's not something never, no book gets it 100% right. And some books have information or tips that he would consider harmful. Mm. So the one thing I, I think I've learned is if it does not resonate with me, if it does not like spark an aha, then I have to let it go. There's no point in trying to like keep up with it. Um, but books that I do love, there is one called The Art of Dramatic Writing by, um, I think it's pronounced Lejos Igri. Um, and it actually, he uses plays as an example, but he talks about a lot of great things about um, does it building character, about um, not just building up individual characters, but building up the specific characters that you need for your story. Um, and so it's really just a really wonderful resource and I will also always recommend Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, which is a book more about writing than necessarily a specific how-to. Um, and one of the things that I love is that she gives, um, she has a whole chapter on writing the, forgive the language, shitty first draft, um, <laughs> which I think is just giving yourself permission to just get it out on the page. Um, but it's, it's really just a brilliant kind of, heartwarming book and I recommend that to any everybody. Ooh, those sound like some good choices. They yes, I love both of them. Um and I'm gonna keep my I'm, I'm gonna stop there because if not I will um I, I will be here all night. So if I really <laughs> want to start a screenwriting war though, how do you feel about Save the Cat? So I read it just because everybody says you need to read it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I don't really have much more to say about it. I did read it. Um, I didn't find it to be helpful for me personally, but I mean, other people swear by it and, and think it's like the most important writing book ever. Um, but personally, I, yeah, I mean, I don't love it the way other people love it. You talk about Save the Cat the same way you talk about George. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, other people love George, but um, personally, he's not my favorite. And that book, other people love it. Personally, not my favorite. My One of my favorite things on screenwriting Twitter is like every few months, somebody will bring up Save the Cat. And then it will be just this very long conversation of people who are either passionately in love with it people who passionately despise it and then like an occasional like brave or just misguided soul that will just be like I mean like it's okay and then they have no clue what they're stepping into so you wanted to bring up save the cat so how much do you love or not love that book so that was actually the first screenwriting book that I was assigned when I started reading 
I will credit it with, because I started off writing as a short story writer. So I had no clue how to do like 90 to 120 pages of a script. Like how the heck was I going to do that? So I credit it for being able to, you know, learn screenplay structure. Um, I've since kind of done better things or, you know, kind of learned ways that make more sense. I think one of my issues, not just with Save the Cat, but with other systems is that they're more retrospective than like proactive, if that makes sense. Like it's easier to analyze and make things, see how things fit than to like, how do I actually get to these points? But I will say that after like teaching screenwriting, I kind of returned to it just to look at it. I think it makes more sense now. There are things that I'm like, oh, I get more now. And so I've been able to get a little bit more out of it than previously. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's good that it was helpful to you. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, but also the first time when I read that book, well, the first and only time, because I didn't bother reading it more than once. But when I read that book, (laughs) um, at that point, I had already been writing screenplays. So it's not like, oh, Oh, this is helpful to me. And I learned so much because I I needed to learn a lot because I didn't know much. It it wasn't um, given to me until I had already been writing for a while. And then, you know, somehow I heard about this book that everybody was raving about. And so a friend of mine had a copy. I didn't even buy a copy. A friend of mine had a copy. And so he gave it to me to borrow. I didn't keep it. (laughs) (laughs) I borrowed his copy. I read it, gave it back to him. Um, But I already was doing it. it. It was like, okay, cool. I already know this. All right, have your book back. I'm done. <laughs> That's so funny. I, you know, but yes. I think that makes sense. Though, but like, you weren't just going to get anything out of it because you weren't at that place. Um, I think that where people go wrong too with screenwriting books is that what's recommended are often the ones that are covering the same ground. It's you know covering structure. At a certain point, like what you like, if once you learn structure. Like, I mean, I'm a structure nerd, so I love talking and thinking about it, but you need to talk, talk and think about other things. And so you need to find books that are maybe more advanced, or I would say turn to writing books that are not specifically about screenwriting. So things about character, things about, you know, um, setting, things about, um, you know, theme. Um, I actually need to read more books on like description and, and things like that. Um, but I think that people would get more out of delving into the craft than just kind of, you know, rehashing or reading more books about particular structure stuff. Right, exactly. And so that's why I feel like the book was probably helpful to you when you were just starting out and then helpful to you when you were teaching other people who were just starting out. But for somebody who already is familiar with the structure, okay, cool, I read it now moving on (laughs) right he does have an interesting way of thinking about genre that is different um so which i've i've looked at and and looked at you know i haven't like delved too too deep in there but i think that there's value in that but you know other than that like i don't hate it i don't love it um it's like it's it's not a desert island screenwriting book right (laughs) but like I wouldn't necessarily like there are other books that like I would burn for kindling first hmm okay yeah I mean it wouldn't well no I I mean for me I think I probably would burn it for kindling first I mean especially if I'm (laughs) on a desert island know the information uh, give me some kindling um (laughs) but we talked about that and hopefully what's his name is it Gary McKee or something something like with the guy that wrote it or what oh no um so that's Blake Snyder Robert McKee wrote story I think yeah are you looking it up yes um I don't know why like the, the most randomest names were like popping into my mind of the guy who wrote the book. Um, well, whatever his name is, it's taking me too long to Google it. Blake um, Snyder. Blake Snyder. That, that's the guy's name. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, he's not listening or I don't know if he, I, I think I he passed away. Oh, 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 okay. Then, um, you know what, then I, 
I'm not going to even continue talking about him or his book right now. Um, yes, Christina, please tell us how you feel about this dead guy's book. <laughs> no, I, I've said enough. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think that's actually a really good place to wrap up for this week. Um, so it was great talking to you again. Great going into this episode. Two episodes left. I'm really excited to get to the season finale because I know, if I remember correctly, it is a doozy. Yes. Um, wow. Yeah. The episodes. Wow. If you've never watched the show before and you're just watching for the first time with us. Wow. There's going to be some things that happen that you won't be expecting. So, yes, please continue to, to join us um, as we continue to dissect Grey's Anatomy. And uh, Carmen, where can they find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at Carmen Bree. That's C-A-R-M-E-N-B-R-I-E. And where, what about you? I can be found uh, at Miss Christina 617. That's M-I-S-S-K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A 617 at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. And um, you can find us, Sister Chiefs, on Twitter at Sister Chiefs. That's S-I-S-T-A-H-C-H-I-E-F-S. Yes, yes, that's right. I'm glad I didn't have to say that this week. <laughs> I can never, I'm always afraid I'm going to spell it wrong. <laughs> But until next week, uh, have fun, and we will see you guys on the next installment. See you later, or hear you later. You'll hear us later. Bye. Bye.